We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Welcome to episode 209 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and today's sponsors, Deal Dash and Direct TV NFL Sunday Ticket. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN, Barca Blog, and many others. Frances, a Champions League victory. Barca are moving on. Did you get any sleep? Yes, 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 especially Ola Cules, first of all. Yes, I did get sleep. Um, I watched the game in Doha, Qatar, obviously, because I live here. And uh, the game finished around 1 a.m. in the morning, so I was exhausted by then. Um, I was very excited to, to, to see that we're through to the next round. Um, there are some question marks as to how we did that, but I don't want to get too negative too early. Let's just say that I'm happy that we've made the quarterfinals once again for the 13th consecutive year. Yep, that is the big story here that Barca are moving on regardless of how they did it. And I feel like because today we're taking from LaRondo, we're taking from our listener questions on the closed Facebook group that I probably should have put out the call for questions at halftime and then again at the end of the game because I think I would have got two different questions, but I only put it out at the end. So I think we do have, unfortunately, a few more negative things to talk about than positive things because I think the first half of the game was glowing and the second half, not so much. So I think we're going to start, though, by talking individual players with a question from Zach in our review of Barca's 3-1 win over Napoli, which if you want a tactical breakdown of what happened, I'll have a few nuggets here, but mostly that's going to be on the YouTube channel that I put out last night, a video tactical breakdown of how Barca beat Napoli. But anyway, Zach is asking Frances and I today, who were your top two to three performing players for Barca and who are your two to three worst players in the Napoli game? 
All right. Very interesting question to start with. Um, I think the best player for Barca was Messi. Uh, he's the one that got us through, really. Um, he was influential, um, as he has been for the last 15 years, um, particularly over the, le- the first 40 minutes, 45 minutes. Um, he was much more motivated than he was before, you know, this, this little break of two weeks that he's had to recharge batteries, going to Ibiza, you know, come back, um, change the chip of the Los La Liga. And I thought that he was he was hungry. He was very good. He looked sharp physically as well. And, um, you know, I, I also saw glimpses of him becoming um, the leader that some people argue that he's not. There were several clips that were shown before the game in the, you know, the initial sort of like circle that they do. And he was leading that um, as the captain. But, you know, he wasn't always as boisterous and as uh, forward talking as that. And then a halftime right before coming onto the pitch, also leading. Luis Suarez saying a couple of things as well, but, you know, being the leader that we know he can be. Another player that stood out for me yesterday, um, for me, was Lenglet. I think the second best player of the match was Lenglet. I think that he gave Barca the solidity that we needed. Piquet was good as well, uh, but I think that Lenglet was the one that really looked much sharper. Um, he didn't give any inch away. Um, he had far more work to do, especially in the second half, that I would have liked to see him doing. But no, obviously he added the goal as well. But I don't think that we can you know, celebrate Lenglet's performance just, just because he beat the opponent's keeper. I think the main, his main task and what he did very, very well yesterday is that he defended um, our own goalkeeper very well indeed. Yeah, and then I'm going to add two because I think you and I split this up pretty well that I think there were four really good players for Barcelona, and I think you mentioned one and three on my list. Messi, his second goal was typical Messi, the Messi that the rest of the world gets to see that we watch every week in the Liga, but the rest of the world, obviously, that goes viral with his second goal. And it was a funny thing when I was watching again, my wife was sitting next to me, and as he falls down, I yell, there's something happening. And then two seconds later, he scores. But just the way that he scored, he scored and shot that ball between the two Napoli defenders after going dribbling past the other three. He shot it before I thought he would shoot it. I thought he would try to bring it back to his left one more time. But then when you look at the replay, he was losing his balance as he shot and curled the ball with his left foot and went across Espina's goal and didn't even aim for the near post, which is pretty incredible. And then the goal that was disallowed, even the way he dinked it into the near post, past Espina was pretty awesome as well. And I thought Messi, as you said, even winning the penalty, having the desire, and that is the captain that we want to see, right? The one that's going to put himself in harm's way, which is terrifying for Kule to say and think about, but putting himself in harm's way as Koulibaly is going to strike the ball. And I kept seeing a lot of things VAR about how it wasn't intentional, but since when did a foul have to be intentional to be a, a foul? A, you know, that's, that's an idea that seems to be created on the internet. But same thing on the other side. Rakitic, clearly a foul. And on the other side, Koulibaly, clearly a foul on Messi for the penalty. But anyway, other than Messi, you're right. Langley, awesome in that game. My second best player in the game was Frankie de Jong. I thought Frankie, for being 90 minutes fit for the first time, basically since the restart, he was going sideline to sideline. Defensively, he was awesome in this game offensively he was awesome in this game he was dribbling into the spaces like we know we he wants to he was delivering balls again I think of the 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 handball that was improperly called on Messi that was from a instant instant reaction because Suarez shot that long shot from outside the box and it winds up ricocheting to, to Frankie de Jong and without taking more than a half a touch he winds up looping it over to Messi again it's called off for a handball but that was 
so much of De Young and credit to him for that. And I thought he was, again, superb in this match. And then my number four would be Nelson Semedo. I thought Semedo had a really, really good match. And one of the reasons for this is just to throw another question here from Raymond. What are your thoughts on Semedo and Roberto? Well, people were being critical of Roberto in this match, not as much as other players. But I think Roberto actually is that right interior does bring the best out of Semedo because who else on this team understands how to cover for the right back more than Sergio Roberto does? I thought he had a really thankless job, did Roberto yesterday, in terms of covering for Messi on the right side, also having to play in the middle and not let the 4-3-3 as in the three midfielders of Napoli overwhelm that space in the middle of the park. And so he had to both cover in the middle and cover Messi, but then he also was doing his job to cover Semedo as Semedo got forward. And I think Roberto bringing the best out of Semedo is credit to both of them, but Semedo also had a job to do in terms of defensively, yes, he was solid, but offensively, it was one of the better days that we've seen him. He was taking space well, he was confident on the ball, and particularly his dribbling was, I think, was the special thing in his game. And I I think he has improved under under Kike Setien, and I've liked what I've been seeing under Nelson Semedo. And as I'm going to talk about in the, the, the Bayern preview later on in this game, Semedo is going to have to have basically this performance again if Barca have even a slimmer of a chance. And that's one of the many things that have to happen if Barca are to have a chance against Bayern. But, Frances, let's flip it. Who were your two to three players for Barca yesterday that you wish had played a little bit better? Well, I don't think many people will disagree that Luis Suarez was just not up to the standard. Um, he hasn't been up to the standard for, well, many, many months now. Obviously, he had that very long knee injury that kept him away for four months. Um, He was going to miss the rest of the season, but then obviously the pandemic happened and the season has been extended and, you know, we're in the middle of August and uh, we're not talking about Verratti or Neymar or any of the transfer sagas that we always talk about at this time of the year, which is a blessing, Dan. We haven't really mentioned that at all in the last uh, two, three weeks. So, you know, I'm happy that the Champions League is happening now. Um, But no, Luis Suarez, he's just still looking slow, isn't he? He's looking too slow, looking tired. He wants to do things that his body just don't let him. He he wants in his brain, he wants to be the player that he was. Um, He knows exactly the run that he needs to make. But he just he just can't do it. He just can't do it. He's not physically fit enough to do it. And, you know, bluntly, the striker that Barca needs, especially if we're going to have any chance, as you mentioned, to beat Bayern, is, is not him. We need someone who is sharper. We need someone who is as effective as he normally is in front of goal. But then again, he's not putting himself into those positions often enough to, to do the job that Barca needs. And I think the second player that you know was disappointing, and I mean, disappointing from an offensive perspective, um, was Griezmann. I think he was overall poor again. Um, he was worse than he had been in the last, in my opinion, two, three last matches in La Liga. Um, he didn't make any many runs into space. And I think he should have been sat by Ansu Fati much earlier than, well, than he was. Fati didn't even come on. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, no, I think that obviously Griezmann, what you get from him is the sacrifice, is the, you know, the tracking back. And, you know, someone does have to do the job. But, you know, I have said many times in this podcast, I think that, you don't pay 100 million euros, and it's more than that, but let's leave it at that, 100 and some million euros for someone who can track back and defend, do the, the, the job that Pedrito used to do. Um, I think we need to spec more. But overall, not a, not a terrible game by Griezmann, but from an offensive perspective, he, he needs to add more. Yeah, I don't think anybody was particularly worse than anybody else for Barcelona. I, I saw people were obviously using this game to jump on Rakitic. I thought he was fine. 
I don't think he actually had a mm-hmm. poor performance by his standards. Uh, the same can be said of Jordi Alba. I think Jordi Alba was fine. He wasn't. He didn't have a sparkling performance for him, but he didn't break down anything defensively. It was noted that he did stay at home a little bit more. And so I actually got it wrong in terms of the tactics where earlier I thought that Barca would try to attack the right back for Napoli and the space would be there in behind. And it was. Di Lorenzo was getting forward, but instead Barca were attempting just to strong side, if you will, the right wing. So with having Messi set up on the right wing, they would bring Griezmann over as an extra body and Roberto and Semedo would be behind. So there would always basically be four players starting at that right touchline and then they would move from right to left that way. So Alba would always have that left flank, but Barca really weren't switching the ball over there too much. And yeah, it was just a nature of Jordi Alba just had to do his job defensively and jump in there and pick his spots offensively. And then PK, I thought, was shaky actually, as Barca were doing really well in the first half. Defensively, PK was a little shaky, but then he sorted himself out, as you said, and in the second half was really good. And yeah, Tristegui didn't have much to do. And again, Sergio Roberto, it was hot and cold in the match, but if you actually look at the amount of not even space that he took up, but the job that he was asked to do, right? And I think that's an interesting way to try to think of this. Look at the players on the field and think about the task of which they've been given. And then maybe, obviously, we're going to critique Setien in a second, probably after the break, because of the decisions he made, sure. But as far as what the players are tasked to do, I think if you think about what Sergio Roberto was asked to do clearly in that match, cover the spaces he was, uh, at times get involved. I, I mentioned in the tactical breakdown that in the 56 minute, he had one of those marauding Sergio Roberto runs, and he had two or three of those in the match, as well as Alba, probably asked to stay home a little bit more than normal and allow Semedo to go forward on the other side. And you, ask, you think about what Griezmann was asked to do as well in terms of just basically playing a support to Messi and Suarez. And I even saw an advanced metric that Messi, you'll notice he was pressing a lot more than he normally does in the game. He was credited, now I'm not sure how accurate this is, with 21 presses of the ball. For some reason, and I, it was, it's hard to see because when you're watching on the television broadcast, you can only see pretty much where the ball is. But uh, the advanced metric said that Luis Suarez pressured the ball 18 times. Now, how hard that is, or with what intensity, or what it led to, is probably the other half of that equation. But Antoine Griezmann, <laughs> he was tasked with supporting those two in that press and to just keep his positioning very solid and to be part of that foundation of the spine up the middle. And I think he even did his job. Rakitic, same thing. He had his tasks, he had his jobs, and I think he, they all adequately did their jobs. Were they awesome offensively? No. And I think that is where the critiques come, and that's where you say they could be better, and that's where you say that we're going to suffer against, Bar- uh, against Bayern Munich because they're going to just attack and attack and attack, and Barca cannot sit and try to be defensive in the way that they, they are because I think more than just one player, the, the thing that exposed about Barca in a poor way, and again, this falls right on the manager that we'll talk about in a second, that they defensively as a unit do not stay compact as well as other teams, and you can tell they just their marching orders have never been, especially for these older players who've been around Barca for five, six, seven years. They have controlled so much of the ball for the last decade that when possession is 50-50 or 55-45, that Barca are just, they, they are not disciplined enough to stay and sit in a, not even a low block, but a medium block. And so we saw in that second half, that's when fans really checked out. And Barca, once again, not built that way to play that defensively. And until that is fixed, which I don't know how that gets fixed with an aging squad the way that they are, I think Barca are going to continue to have problems. And Francesca, I'll let you respond right after this break. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. 
With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon signup, on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the promo code TBPOD, or DealDash.FM backslash TBPOD. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backslash T-B-P-O-D. All right, Frances, I made you wait, but I know you're chomping at the bit for an answer. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm eager to, to let you know my thoughts on this. Um, to be honest, and I don't normally quote anyone from the UK or anybody else, but um, I think he summed it up really well. Uh, Michael Owen, obviously a legend at Liverpool, and he played for you know those, those guys who play in white in the capital of Spain. I, you know, the name really escapes me on purpose a lot of the time. Um, so he said that, watching the game, he said at, at halftime as well, and at the end, he said that Barca just don't look like Barca. He said that this is not resembling any Barcelona team in the last 20 years. He said that it is an aging squad that basically should be going into rebuilding mode very, very soon. And I have to agree with him. I have to agree with him. I mean, Setien was hired by Barca to make Barca play better, to, to, to make the football that Barca are playing much more effective and much closer to our traditional ideas. The Cruyffism flag that, you know, he keeps waving uh, time and time again. But, you know, he's not showing that. He's not demonstrating that. He's not reflecting that on the pitch. I mean, it was a knockout stage Champions League tie and Barca only had 48% possession at the Camp No, um, not having a single shot on goal in the whole of the second half against Napoli, who, with all due respect, they're far from being the best team even in Italy. And unfortunately, he's betraying his own ideals because, unfortunately, it seems like he doesn't think that he's got good enough tools, good enough players at his disposal, so, especially when he looks at the, the first teamers that he's got. I mean, yesterday, obviously, against Napoli, uh, Busquets and Vidal were both unavailable and they should be coming back in the in the next run against Bayern if everything goes well, goes to plan and they don't get injured on the, on the way. Um, but he just doesn't trust Barca to be youngsters enough. Um, the players seem to know this as well, and they are happy to run with it. I think the the expectations from the players themselves, I mean, based on the Valverde and the Setien approach, I think the players themselves, and you can sense it by the way that uh, Messi said, you know, let's not let's not be pelotudos, so let's don't, don't let's not just be idiots now in the second half. We're leading by two goals. Let's 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 put this to bed, basically. And um, I can't believe I'm even saying this, but it looks like Setien has not really added anything that Valverde couldn't have done himself. And to to say that three or four months after, you know, months of play, I'm talking about after Valverde was was sacked is incredibly disappointing. I mean, I don't want to get too negative today because obviously we are three matches away from potentially winning the Champions League, but uh, the, the signs are, are worrying, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna 
answer that now. I think we've been skirting around the Puj and, and Fati stuff. Abbas asked, do you think the reason why Puj and Fati did not play tonight was because Setiana saved them for Byron's match? Jorge, what is the deal with the lack of sub-use? Vishroot, why does Setien seem to struggle with his substitutes? And Antonio, why did the coach just not make the subs early in the second half after seeing how high Napoli backline was playing? And that's actually a good point by Antonio as well, that Napoli, the big change that was made, and one of the reasons that Catuso took out Demay for Lobotka is he wanted to take that line of confrontation and Lobotka is a little more of a mobile defensive midfield option, that he wanted to move that line of confrontation up and pin Barca in the their own half. And Napoli did that, I think, to much, much, much better effect in the second half of the game. So it was a good tactical switch by Gattuso. But as you mentioned, Messi and company, they figured out how to dig in. Now, as much as I'd say big picture wise, I would want to criticize Setien for not really changing Barca. I think the big argument you continue to make that the blame belongs to everybody, not just necessarily Setien. It falls on him because he is the manager. But Look at that bench yesterday. I mean, I'm someone who, again, everybody knows. I love championing La Masia, and I love championing the promotion of Barca. I watch Barca B, so I know which players actually deserve to be promoted and what positions can be reinforced by Barca B and which ones probably shouldn't be. And I want to see those things. But you look at that bench yesterday. Junior Firpo, other than Neto, Junior Firpo, the only outfield player who started this year with the first team on the bench. That is unbelievable for a club that has spent over a billion dollars or a billion euros in the last few seasons in the transfer window. That is unbelievable. And I think to blame Setien on what has been building to this point for years and years and years, I think is a tad unfair. That said, he is in control of the substitutions that he makes in a game. And so I really do question, maybe this wasn't Setien's fault, but Pimienta seemed to disagree with this because Pimienta said, well, I would have loved to use Puj and Fati for the Barca B promotions. So it is baffling to me that Ronald Araujo, who was able to give his time and to play for Barca B in that final four promotion, he winds up getting hurt. Again, that was worst case scenario, but he winds up getting fit for this match. Still doesn't feature. And Puj and Fati, who weren't selected to play with Barca B because they, ne- they were needed for the Champions League, they wind up not even featuring in this match. I'm happy for Manchu, and it's not Manchu's fault that I'll always remember his first team debut as basically keeping Puj and Fati on the bench. But for those, I think we're almost overcorrecting that for those who say that Puj and Fati, they were inexperienced, they were too young. I actually took the opposite idea that Barca's experienced veteran heads, those are the ones that crumble psychologically in the Champions League in the last two seasons. And yes, it's big for them to get over this hump. But players who were too naive to understand what it was like to fail in those moments, I think those were actually the right players. And I, it's funny to me that when Puj doesn't play, the defense of him not playing is that he's inexperienced. But then when he does play, especially against Atletico Madrid, against Sevilla, we saw that Puj is good with ball retention. And I've been critical of the times that he is cut out defensively. But as I've said, I think he's actually made leaps and bounds in progress defensively since football returned. So I don't understand why the argument that Puj and Fati didn't play is that they're inexperienced for, as Barca were trying not to bottle a two-goal lead, right? Isn't it ridiculous that, that we're just saying, okay, Barca need to, the vets, the experience, they need to just bunker down and protect this two-goal lead with everything they have. 
We cannot be that afraid to crumble again. If our hearts get broken again, I know nobody wants to, to be broken up with and nobody wants a broken heart, but for all the times our hearts got broken, that's why you watch. You watch not to get hurt again, but to believe that your team is good enough to get over the hump and that it shouldn't be this psychological mess for all of us as well. And I know it's hard to tell people you can't feel a certain way because your feelings are always valid. I, I agree. Your feelings are always valid. But for me, it wasn't even about Pooj and Fati getting this experience in this game. I actually think, as I've said before, Barca are a better squad, and Barca would have, I think, had an easier job putting that match away if Fati and Pooj are on the field at the end of the game. Yep. Um, I was going to say that it is laughable, but it's not laughable because it's really not funny at all. I mean, this is a manager that doesn't know how to use substitutions. Um, and I know this is the second time I'm going to reference Valverde in the show, but Valverde actually did know how to make substitutions. So it seems like we've gone backwards from Valverde, which is really, which is really the lowest of the low. Um, you know, no, I, I don't, I don't actually know. I don't actually know if I completely agree with that Valverde uses substitutions well. I remember you can check our tapes. You and I criticized him a lot, a lot, a lot for how to use his substitutions. And I think very, very few managers in world football actually do use substitutions properly. Yeah, but he influenced games. Um, Valverde actually influenced games at the end. He didn't always get it right, but it's, a lot of the times he unbalanced the, the destiny of a match, which this guy doesn't do at all. I mean, not having anybody coming in until the 84th minute is inexplicable and it's, it's just inexcusable. I mean, yeah, I agree you, need to look at, you need to look at what you mentioned. Like, How can the squad possibly be this short? How can Junior Firpo be the only sub that can actually add anything from, from the first team. I mean, are Barca big youngsters not good enough to play even a single second? I mean, <laughs> why is Montu coming on as a, as a forward when you've got Fati um, sitting on the bench as well? It's just, overall, it's embarrassing. Um, I know it's not only a manager's problem, uh, but obviously it's whoever designed the squad, which is Abidal and the rest of his friends um, at board level. And someone should take responsibility. The, the whole episode is disgraceful. And the thing is, you can see it. I can see it. Everyone listening to this show can actually see it. And the only guy that can, that should be able to do something about it, just can't seem to be bothered to do it. Is is a shambles. Yeah, and I also found it interesting when I saw the Barca B players that were given spots on the bench. I actually agreed with those selections, with the exception of Ludo Reese. He does a job, and I think he basically, to explain this to people who don't normally watch Barca B, Reese feels like the racketage of Barca B, where he was bought for $3 million, which was way too much for what he's probably worth. He was 19 at the time, now he's 20, and he just he does a job, and so I think he's unimpressive, but he has a job that he does. Anyway, other than him, it was Hondra Oriana. I mean, I was excited for Conrad De La Fuente to maybe be the first American to debut for the first team, but alas, we'll have to continue to wait on that. But he deserved to be to have a spot there over Ray Minaj if you had watched the Barca B promotion. So I think that the selections that were made for that for, for the bench were the right ones. And so I was actually happy to see that, okay, it seems like the talent, the proper talent to recognize and the proper talent that I think have some kind of future in the first team is the ones that's being selected to the the, the bench for the Champions League. So yeah, but the thing is, if he's not going to use them, he may as well select my grandma for the bench. No, that's I agree with you. That's what. I'm, that's what. That's my. It's that's a final point. It's it's terrible. It really is terrible. It's embarrassing. Yeah. No, I agree. That, that's my point. That I saw that who they picked, and I said, oh well, for all the people to play to sit on the bench, I'm. It seems like he's recognizing the talent that deserves it, but it doesn't matter if they deserve it if they're never going to get that opportunity. And I, mm -hmm. and I think you're right about that as well. And yeah, it was interesting to me that even for Manchu, when he came on, he came on as a left midfielder, which is not a position he plays at all. So that would, I mean, that was puzzling as well, that it was, it, it's, it's felt in a match that if Fatih and Puj weren't trust to come on in that game, you give Manchu this 
olive branch, and he's a player that's probably going to be leaving. So what you wanted to just throw him out so that you could try to sell him for a, that's, I mean, that's the most cynical question, right? Was Montu just given a first team debut so that he hits a certain box for the sale of that player in a few weeks that now you can say to other, other people that, Oh, you know, he's debuted as the first team. That's the player that he is. He was Barca B's best player this year. And he can look, he can play on the left midfield as well, or, you know, I, that, I guess my point, my question is, you know, if it was just a ceremonious olive branch for other teams as to why Manchu got his first team debut and it wasn't actually about the merit of the player, I mean, you can easily deli- deny that, right? There, there's no, there's, there's so much deniability in, in making that substitution feel like more than it was. But I think that would be the cynical and most disappointing aspect of that. But yeah, yeah. you're never going to find out if that's the case. Uh, no one will ever admit to it. It is likely, and you know, as you show, time is going to tell, but it is likely that what, that was actually the case. But hey-ho, we're not going to know. Yeah, so I, I knew that we would get negative after, that's why we started with the positive of praising Messi and De Young and Semedo, Langley. The players that did really well in that match, again, they got past Napoli. That's a big deal. That's the point there. So I think we're going to move on here to a little bit of a Bayern Munich preview. I've got my notes. I've got questions for Frances. Don't you ever worry here. So I think the best way to start this, Frances, is to... Not that I'm going to cop out and not give my starting 11. I usually give it on the tactical breakdown later in the week on YouTube. So I'm going to ask you the question that we have five different people asked. I want to give the shout outs here. Tamjan, Gurdip, Ted, and Denis, and Pierre, they all ask very, very similar questions. What is the starting lineup for Barcelona going to be against Bayern Munich? Okay, um, I've got the lineup, but I want to I throw some context before. I, I think that um, the game against Napoli actually showed that Barca, from the manager, but even to the players themselves, based on what Messi said, and obviously the way that they played, that Barca have actually assumed their limitations. They know they're not the team they used to be. Um, they know that uh, Bayern is going to be much more intense, much more physical, arguably you could say more talented, but you know, if we're looking at 2020, Suarez, Rakitic, Vidal, Busquets, and we're not thinking about 2015, all of those players, then you could argue that the, the, the players that Bayern have actually are on par in terms of um, talent and skill as the Barca, um, as the Barca players are. Um, I was looking at some um, favoritos websites, so who's the favorite, and um, the odds seem to be 61% for Bayern and 39 for Barca, which I actually think is, is quite accurate. And um, I think that Barca's limitations, they can no longer be dressed up. They just have to be assumed, they have to be accepted, and Setien and the players have to be working on. It is really basic, and I know it goes against anything that Barca stands for, but I just don't think we've got a choice. Um, against Bayern, I think what Barca need to do is push as hard as they can in the first half when all of the players are at the peak fitness. Um, hope that Messi once again, tira del carro, you know, he, he takes the whole team forward and, and he's in, you know, super Saiyan Messi mode. And uh, hopefully they can achieve an advantage in the first half. And then in the second half, it doesn't matter if I, you know, talk in the podcast for three hours about Barca playing the Barca way, etc. It's not going to happen because we don't have the tools at our disposal, especially in August. You know, the season started last August. So the players just don't have the legs and the freshness, both mentally and, and physically, to actually do that. So I think that in the second half, as we have been seeing for the last 15 Barca matches, they're going to try and hold on to whatever they have achieved before. Um, would that be enough to beat Bayern? I'm not sure. I'm very doubtful about it. But I know that our players, and this is something you cannot take away from them, they will try their best. We are powerful up front, especially in the first halves. 
and we need to be a bit more physical than we were before and just be mentally ready. Um, I think the players, they owe it to themselves and obviously to all of us, but I think themselves first to be trying the hardest and, and you know, the, the, the CVs, which obviously are boasting Champions League, La Liga, etc. They owe it to themselves to go out there and compete and making us all proud. Um, so without further ado, this is my starting eleven. This does not mean that Setien will go with this. In fact, I highly doubt that he will go with this. In the last podcast before the Napoli game, we toyed around with different formations. I'm just going to assume that he's going to go for a 4-3-1-2 again. I'm not going to call it the rhombus formation because against Napoli it wasn't a rhombus, actually. It was three. It was a triple pivot, actually. And uh, whenever the game basculated to the right, you would have the left interior coming and dropping alongside the, uh, in this case, it was um, Rakitic at the heart of the midfield. So let's just go for it. In my eyes, Ter Stegen obviously gets the, the nod ahead of Neto for obvious reasons. At the back... Wait, wait, Frances, Frances, wait, wait. About the Ter Stegen one, I think we should have a quick debate. Oh, okay, all right, all right, continue. <laughs> okay. Our back line, I think, remains very similar to what it was um, against Napoli. Alba, Lenglet, Piquet and Semedo. Um, this is the first time, actually, I picked Semedo ahead of Roberto for a long, long time. But I think that because of the reasons you explained at the beginning of the podcast, I think, for me, gets the nod now at this moment in time. Um, Busquets, I think, comes back. Um, you know, it would be very hard to justify Barca crashing out in the quarterfinals with Busquets being benched. Um, also, he's much more rested than the others. He's had nearly three weeks off. So Busquets, for me, it's the, the heart of the triple pivot in the middle. Then the young, for me, goes to the left um, in my formation. And on the right, you can choose. You know, you've got Rakitic, you've got Vidal, and you've got Sergi Roberto. Myself... My heart tells me Sergio Roberto will be the fittest, will be the strongest. And uh, in terms of quality, he's probably not going to be able to push forward as much as Vidal would do. But um, I think that against Bayern, with their intensity and physicality, I think Sergio Roberto should be the preferred right interior or triple pivot on the right. Call it whatever way you wish. Um, then the one behind the two strikers for me is Ricky Puch. And I don't have a question about that. You know, uh, people can say about his inexperience, he's not too tall, he's not too strong, he doesn't defend enough. That's all rubbish. For me, he is the best attacking midfielder behind Messi, of course. Uh, he's the best attacking midfielder in the Barca squad right now. And uh, he is young, but as the, as the young himself said before, well, this week before the Napoli match, he's more than ready to be a starter at Barca. And I, I strongly believe this. So for me, he has to be the attacking midfielder. Uh, Messi obviously starts up front. I think he starts sort of drifting towards the right because that's his preferred position. And for me, is Luis Suarez still starting the game? Because um, as I said before, I think Barca need to chase the win, especially in the first 30, 35 minutes. And for that, I think Luis Suarez adds more than any of the other options, which really there's not that many. It's Ansu Fati and Griezmann, really, if you look at the rest of the formation. But I think Luis Suarez, for me, starts the match because he's the best at combining with Messi. He, when he's fit, which obviously will be the first half hour, he is able, or she should be able to hold the, the Bayern centre-backs. And, the, the, you know, for me, Suarez definitely comes off in the 50th minute or even half-time. And then you add the, the speed and freshness of Ansu Fati. Um, then you've got the options of Rakitic, if we are winning, come to control the game, or if someone is really tired in midfield, maybe Busquets himself. And then um, Arturo Vidal can come on in the second half as well. 
um, if we need, you know, to, to go and grab the victory, uh, maybe for Sergio Roberto or someone. But as we have been saying throughout the whole show, there's, we need a manager that can actually make substitutions. And I, tr- it's not that I trust, I hope more than trust. I hope that Setien having either Sergio Roberto or Rakitic or Vidal or Fati and Ricky Puig maybe on the bench, that that's five people, then actually he can make something to change the game. But um, I'm, I'm intrigued to know what your thoughts are on this, Dan. You know, I, I really do agree with so much of what you built with your lineup. And I think there's a difference between what I would want to see and what I think is possible and is going to happen. Because I think the lineup you set out would actually be the exact same one that I would pick. Honestly, it, with with Sergio Roberto as the right interior and then Ricky Puj in behind with Griezmann starting on the bench. I think I would pick the same thing. But I would say that you're going to see this exact same lineup that you saw start against Napoli with the exception of Busquets coming back in for Rakitic and Rakitic going to the bench. I still think Roberto v Vidal, that is the, the big question mark. But Roberto starts every game, irrespective of conditions or the other team, Roberto starts. So I think Roberto will still get the start at the right interior. And that somehow that does force Vidal to the bench, which is surprising. So they could go with Vidal underneath Suarez and Messi, because I'm about to talk about Bayern in a second. So you'd put Vidal there as right behind the top of that midfield diamond, just to contend with the number of bodies that are going to be in the midfield that Griezmann may not be able to contend with. So I think you could see Roberto and Vidal in that basically a midfield four with four center midfielders, Busquets, De Jong, Roberto, and Vidal, or it'll be Griezmann and Vidal will start on the bench. I think that is what's going to happen. It's not what I want. I think you you gave and explained what I agree with and what I want as well, but I just don't think that's what we're going to see. And I think looking at Bayern, as I was breaking this down last night, Frances, I think it's time. Uh, Steven asked, I thought Bayern were good attacking on the flanks. I saw them attacking the middle, and they are good there too. How do we contain the Bayern attack? So that was his question. So I think now I'm going to jump into that full-blown Bayern preview before we talk about the rest of this. Because I think, Frances, Barca are in this weird place where I would love to see Setien watch tape of Bayern and say, okay, those are their weaknesses. This is what I want to try to exploit. But for Barca, I think they're struggling in such a way that Barca have to select a lineup that maximizes what they do more than they even have to worry about their opponent, which I think is a really sad state to be in, honestly. But looking at Bayern, I found a hard time, and I've watched them a bunch. I've had a hard time figuring out what their weaknesses are as well. So, Frances, without further ado, you mind if I jump into that Bayern preview? Go for it, amigo to here. Okay, so Bayern... They why not why I keep talking about loading up that midfield? They play a very fluid 4-2-3-1 with we know who they are though. They, these are world-class players. Lewandowski obviously a fort force as a striker. And I think you can expect the same lineup that they trotted out against Chelsea. Gnabry and Perisic on the wings, Muller wandering around as that Romdorter, which is in German space interpreter or space investigator, basically a, a roaming attacking midfielder in his own special way. Thiago and Goretzka cleaning up and taking turns going forward as a double pivot. And then Alfonso Davies, the one of the breakout players of world football at left back and David Alaba as the center back pairing, most likely with Boateng. It could also be Sula, who's been coming back, the young and very, very tall, very powerful, very imposing German center back, if he's back to full fitness. And then Joshua Kimmich, cannot forget about him at right back. And then Neuer in net. Coutinho, and we know who Coutinho is. Tolisso, Javi Martinez of his athletic club days, and Lucas Hernandez from Atletico Madrid, who's made the move. They have a bench. 
even with Kinsley Coman. Dan, yeah, go ahead. Dan, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it, something is dying inside. I need to say this. Who is this incredibly intelligent person in the Barca board that decided it was a great idea to extend Coutinho's <laughs> loan to Bayern Munich, knowing that we would play them if we beat Napoli, which obviously wasn't a certain certainty, unfortunately. Who was the genius that decided to extend this? So, you know, we could go out to Bayern Munich with a Coutinho hat-trick. Who well, do I, we blame then? It's in, it's, I'm flabbergasted. I'm, I know I'm talking, but I'm running out of words. This is insane. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I have watched enough of Bayern, though, to know that Coutinho will not be getting a hat-trick. But he could feature, and you're right. He could play some kind of role, but... I'm not even sure against Barca that Coutinho will play just with the sheer number of other guys on the bench, but five subs has changed that. And I agree with you. I have no idea why this is extended either. I mean, Bayern have said we're not going to, we're too good with our money. We're not going to be buying him. So you just have to, we're going to use your player uh, probably against you. So yeah, you're right. I, I don't even know how to like resettle myself. You're right. It's insane. Yeah, it is. It's so, insane. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, even with all those guys on the bench and Kinsley Coman and Benjamin Pavard, Injured, Coman still questionable for a Barca clash. As as we said, they're they are deep. They are a good team with a lot of quality. And for me, the guys to highlight for Bayern, Davies and Muller, they worry me the most because of the way that Bayern play. And if I'm Setien, I try to man mark Muller as best I can out of this game with Busquets. And I think, as I said, it'll be Rakitic and De Young next to him if he does this. And Semedo is going to have to have, as I said at the beginning, one of the best games of his career dealing with Perisic, and especially the overlapping Alfonso Davies, one of the quickest players and one of the most dynamic players in all of world football. So whoever is that right interior, we talked about it could be Vidal and it could be Roberto. That right interior is going to need to work to cover Semedo and worry about covering Messi's flank again. So that's why I, I would pick Roberto over Vidal for that just that reason. But then again, that leaves five Munich midfielders against three Barca midfielders in the middle. And that's why I also suggested maybe Vidal as the player behind Suarez and Messi. And I think even just trying to lay all this out, I'm already really tying myself into a noodle here. So I think where I, where I end this, bar, this Bayern preview is I've watched a bit of them. And when they are on, they are clicking. They're the best team in Europe. They are. They, they have the... You, you mentioned 538s. You talked about their statistics. They're being picked as the favorites in the Champions League at the moment because when they are having a good day, there is no team in Europe that is better than them. And there is no team that can hang with all the weapons they have. And Hansi Flick is getting the best out of both the young and the old in the squad. It's making us all jealous, sure. But when they have struggled, which they have done on the rare occasion, so if all things go right and they're not doing well because I think it'll be more important that Bayern have a good day and Barca... There's not much they could do if Bayern have a good day. But when they have struggled, it's because players on Bayern Munich were making individual mistakes, which they wind up getting punished for. As far as squad management, they have the depth to punish players when they make mistakes. I know, crazy idea as well. But the team's mentality is superb, that even when guys get punished or mistakes happen, they rebound very quickly. Like, Joshua Kimmich is one of, mentally, the toughest players in the world. Kimmich is, his mind, everything in between the years, is absolutely excellent. And that's not even speaking about what he does on the field. And then Neuer, Muller, Lewandowski, these guys do not waver. You will never see them feel like they have got in their own feelings or they have felt a second of doubt. They do not show that. And yes, it may be a German thing or in Lewandowski's case, a Polish thing. But again, it, it happens. But Boateng, as we've seen, 
can make a mistake. And I'm not talking about when Messi undressed him all those years ago in the Champions League. Boateng is still susceptible to individual mistakes, and he sometimes can get lost in a match. Neuer has been really good since football returned, but I don't think he's as invincible as he used to be. And sometimes Moeller does get lost in a match. And sometimes Goretzka's passing isn't as sharp as it should be. Sometimes Davies gets caught too high, and on the rare occasion, can't get back in time to clean up a mess. So if Barca are able to exploit those moments of weakness from Bayern Munich, they have a chance. But the more I actually look at Bayern, as crazy as it is, where people are just looking at Barcelona and saying, I'm worried, I don't think they're good enough. My fear is actually looking at Bayern and going, I don't know if any team is good enough. This team is just solid. And I don't really know how to sort myself out by saying, what can Barcelona exploit? What errors will Bayern make that Barca can find some kind of solace in? And the answer I keep coming to, Frances, is Messi. That is the answer. And I can't, I don't, yeah. I can't figure out a second, a plan B. It is messy. He's the answer. Yeah. And uh, at this moment in time, that's, that's a super, super segment there, Dan. Thank you for your always fantastic research. Um, we've got Setien leading the boat. I know I mentioned last week, but at this moment, if there is someone who can find a solution other than Messi, I don't think the, the current Setien, the Setien that we're seeing at Barca or Valverde before him, uh, I don't think they would have had the answer. I think maybe a tactical genius like Guardiola or Klopp or a, any of the historical managers we had, like Cruyff, etc., would have been able to find something extra. But at this moment in time, I think Barca just need to hope that Messi has got one of those incredible matches, not just for 30 minutes, but actually throughout the whole match. I mean, it is clear that Bayern are going to play like what they are, a tireless, intense, well-oiled machine. Bayern, they don't really need the three weeks rest uh, that they have had before the match this week. They've, they've got a further week to get ready for the Lisbon trip. Barca look tired, you know, just be honest. Barca look tired pretty much overall. I think they look slightly better than they did in La Liga against Napoli. So, you know, talking positively, you could think that's the beginning of something better to come. But um, I don't think that our team are fully confident on their own identity. I don't think they're fully confident of who they are. I don't think they're fully confident or, or believe that they can actually do this. Um, but as I said, I think that the players are going to try the hardest. I actually don't doubt that for a second. And uh, if Bayern are the better team on the day, then then so be it. I mean, it's only 90 minutes, says he. So it's only one match. It's not a two-leg tie at all. I think we can certainly do it. I think Barca have got a much, much higher chance to beat Bayern once than doing it over 180 minutes and potentially 210. And um, I think that if Barca have made the transition into what they are today, which is not the traditional Barca and not faithful to the traditional Barca style, but you know they have become aware that this is the only style actually that Barca can survive the Champions League round, especially against Bayern, then then so be it. I think if Messi can carry us through, then that's that's what we need to defend, that's what we need to hope. Uh, but you know, I would say that the vast majority. If you play this match ten times, I think Bayern win it seven or eight times. But you know, this is football. This is Barca, and we've got Messi. So let's let's hope. Yeah, Mitko asked, will the approach change or not? And Tom also mentioned Setien potentially be conservative because of the rumors of him being sacked and why he potentially isn't taking risks with the younger players. But as you mentioned, Barcelona have been the favorite in every match that they have played under Kike Setien because Barcelona are always the favorites with the exception of Real Madrid and then the occasional Champions League tie. This is the first time this season, even those El Clasicos this year, Barca and Real Madrid were both the, when they met in those two times, were mostly at the same phase in their 
seasons where Barca were actually top of the table when they met. And so this is that first match under Kike Setien where Barcelona are not the favorites. And it is not close. They are the not overwhelming underdog, but they are severely the underdog. And that means that with just 90 minutes, I think the point you have as well, it's not a plan B, but with Messi in 90 minutes, Barca, they only have to get it right this one time. And Bayern could get it right, you're right, over the course of two legs, but they are only going to have 90 minutes. And I hope that, as I said, the mentality of Bayern is very, very good, but maybe that make them, makes them a little nervous if Barca are able to get an early goal or just a bit of luck, just an individual mistake at the back by Neuer or Botang, and Barca are on the front foot, which would be pretty spectacular. What I'm interested to see, and which is, I think, the most likely situation in here, Kike Setien, for the first time ever, we're going to have to see him manage for his job. He's been managing conservatively, but against Napoli, as we spoke about, Barca wound up winning that tie by two goals. So they were still, and yes, Napoli could have got the away goal and things would have got ugly and switched in a hurry. But Barcelona always had at least another goal before it was the real panic time. And against Bayern Munich, I mean, you'd expect Bayern's going to score first. And then at that point, what does Kike Setien do? Because I think... If you think we're getting on him this week about late substitutions, when he was when he really was trying to hold on for that match, if Kike Setien winds up going down first and his team is not playing well, and Bayern, let's say they go into half 2-0, if he does not have the bravery to basically throw anything he can on the field, that and when I say anything, I mean Puj, I mean Fatih, and throw them on early and try to do something because you're the lesser team, that is going to be the real indictment, and I think that is going to be the fireable offense. As much as that, it, it seems like an oxymoron here that he would be making conservative decisions to save his job, but I think the lack of bravery from a, a manager that came in saying, I'm brave like Cruyff, blah, 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 that if that's what he's saying and he's unable to do that, that's going to be the biggest indictment of him in charge, I think, that we've seen so far. And speaking of those subs, Pancho asked for you, Frances, if Dembele is fit for Bayern, do you see maybe him coming on as a sub to add the needed spark? Or do you wait for 2021 to let Dembele play again? And I think I'm in my camp. What, what do you say? It's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. I think that you need to trust the doctors. You need to trust the player. Um, and you need to trust that everyone's on their jobs to the best of their abilities. I mean, if you are playing, I don't think he starts. I think that's out of the question. If you're playing Bayern, you got, you know, you, you got a goalless draw and you've got 10 minutes left. And the doctors have told you Dembele can actually play and, and, and add something then you may throw him in, you know. Uh, I think that what would be, let's flip that, I think what would be inexcusable is to have Suarez play 97 million minutes in the next match, as he has been doing pretty much every time. And I, I think that, obviously, Ansu Fati has got more rodaje, which means he's, he's played more lately. Um, Griezmann, in my formation, is, uh, is, is on the bench. I think that Setien would probably start him, maybe, I guess, um, as he did in the last match. But no, I think that Dembélé... If you can use him as a weapon, I think you, I would risk him for 10 minutes, um, especially and definitely following the advice of the doctors. Yeah, as I said, that's the thing about Bayern, that their weakness or the times that they've had issues is by giving up the flanks. And where does Barcelona never really attack or never have success? The flanks. So I think if Barca get a goal, and this is so silly to try to hypothesize how his goal is going to happen. It could happen on a free kick. It could happen. Most likely it's not going to happen on a corner, but hey, Lengle surprised us. Or it could be a piece of magic from Messi. But I think the most likely progression of a goal for Barca is that diagonal ball from Messi over the top to Jordi Alba running in behind on the flank that could be available for Barcelona. And then the square ball being perfect 
and Messi running into traffic uh, circa 2011, 2012. I think that's most likely the way that Barca are going to be able to have some success in the final third. But uh, yeah, as you said, Dembele has the ability to imbalance the match, but there's no way that we can expect. And I think I'm not just worried about the internet and those hot takes of, oh, how come he came on in 24 minutes and he couldn't win a goal game or he's washed up. Look at what Dembele is. Well, the guy hasn't played in 10 months. So I, as I said last week, this is not an indictment of Dembele. It's just any player who's been out for so long to be thrown into not even the fire, but I mean, this is a volcano he's being thrown into at that moment. It's not even about mentally. It's just physically. How can you expect him to possibly be thrown against I, again, in my opinion, the top team in Europe and expect some kind of good result. So I'm not sure about that. But Dirk asked, and I know you don't want to talk about the team in white, Frances, but Dirk asked, when Madrid won the trophy over the last few years, that being the Champions League, they were hardly the best team in Europe. Agreed, Dirk. Instead, they won because they played for the moment, showed a ton of grit, utilized their experience, and of course, had Lady Luck on their side. Is that a formula that Barca can copy? That's the only formula that Barca can be successful with, Yes. Um, I think that the experience, if there's anything that this Barca squad has, is experience. Um, they've got experience of winning multiple titles. Um, that you know, that's nearly over a decade ago for some of them, um, and also they've got experience of losing it. So I think that all, all of that feedback, all of those memories, all of those thoughts will be going through their heads. And I think that if Barca do what they need to do, which is score early in the first half and then be as clever as they can with the ball or without it. Um, and then hopefully they can, they can hold Bayern like that. I mean, I don't want to look ahead against a potential clash with Manchester City, but I think that if we were to play Manchester City, I think we've got more chances to beat them than we've got Bayern Munich, to be honest. And then a potential final against Atletico or PSG could be a toss-up in the air as well. So um, I don't want to obviously look beyond Bayern at all. I think that if Barca are to be successful, they need to do what Madrid did. Yes, they need to play to their strength. They need to play to their experience. They need to maximize Messi's um, magic, the differential point, the differential weapon we've got, and hope for the best. Agreed. Yeah, anything can happen in the Champions League. Upsets happen, but I think you're right. Lady Luck, if she shows up, it'll be in the match against Bayern Munich. And as I've said, just at least on paper, if Barcelona get by Bayern... No other team left in the Champions League other than Barcelona and Bayern Munich have won the Champions League final. So that tells you something about the clubs that are still alive, that anything can happen in Europe, sure, but if Barcelona get lucky against Bayern Munich and are able to move on, then I think they once again become the favorites, which I know is not a position that Kules want to be in, but as I said, I think the toughest task is the one that they're about to stare down the barrel of. So I think Lady Luck, if she is there, she'll be there this weekend against Bayern Munich. And Frances, I think that is a good place to leave it. There's a lot of things that can happen between now and the Bayern Munich game. So everything we said by Thursday or Friday could be in complete flames. But hey, we take our job, we try our best, and I hope you like, again, this edition of the Barcelona Podcast because we want to thank you for tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out your show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media too. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at HiltonD13 for me on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group. That's where we got these questions for La Ronda. There's also deeper dives and discussions. And I went on a whole tirade about the pregame and postgame show of CBS. So if you want to see me get all frustrated about conversations about Ronaldo and Messi on postgame shows and pregame shows and producing and some sports insider knowledge, then you can go check that out on the Facebook page. You can also help us out on Patreon where we have those quick take match reviews to continue making these shows at tvpod.link backslash patreon we're also on youtube now at the barcelona podcast check us out and hit that subscription button so thanks so much for listening to the barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon for the barcelona, barcelona.
Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, features, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.